If you want to come in, grab a seat. Uh, You can open up to Galatians chapter 1. I was told that uh, in promoting the turkey bowl, I said September. Um, Is it September yet? Like, time is flying by so fast. No, it's November. Uh, The the game will be held in November. Um, Yes, excited. Yes. Uh, Halloween, 15... 17, an Augustinian monk named Martin Luther did something that changed the course of history, did something that changed the church and therefore changed culture. And uh, Martin Luther was uh, the great reformer. About 12 years before that, he was a law student. He was in college studying to be a lawyer. And he was traveling on a road one night uh, on horseback, and a storm came. And the storm was so ferocious and so scary that he literally thought he was going to lose his life. And so uh, at that point, um, he believed in God and had cried out to God in that moment and basically made a deal uh, provoking divine protection, saying, Lord, if you would keep me alive during this storm, if you would protect me during this storm, then I will give my life to you. I will even become a monk. That's how scared he was. And sure enough, sure enough, he's saved from the storm. And he makes good on his promise and becomes a monk. Within two years, he is ordained as a Catholic priest, um, a bright uh, young mind, um, starts to study the scriptures. And uh, he's amazed at how good God is. And he's also uh, overwhelmed with how bad he is. It says that his heart is heavy with sorrow because he knows um, just how wretched person he is. And he tries to fix this and uh, participates in what the church would require of you at the time. He would go on pilgrimages to sacred sites. He would uh, follow the holy holidays. Uh, He would fast. He would pray. He would even buy indulgences from the church. He would do all sorts of things to try to relieve the weight of his own sin, even as a priest. He talks about how he felt and uses language like, like, "I, I felt tortured by my wickedness, and it was so heavy, and, and in his mind, he knew that God was good, and yet he couldn't fathom why a God who was so good would allow him to be in relationship with him, and yet have such a terrible feeling about what life was like, and as he started to search scriptures on his own, he came to understand this concept of, uh, of grace, of grace, and of God's righteousness, and he started to understand that this heavy weight that he felt couldn't just be lifted by him trying to appease God and make God happy. It was lifted because of who God is and God's love and the cross and God's righteousness. And he started to understand that that grace that comes from God's goodness is what makes us clean. As he kind of considered the practices of the church at the time, he felt like they were just lumping weight on top of people. This practices of buying and selling indulgences Uh, he thought was wicked. And in Halloween 1517, he posts his famous 95 theses on the door of the church in Wittenberg, challenging the practices of the church. Most historians say this is kind of the starting point for the Great Reformation, the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation of the church. And it was because he had uh, considered all of the the things that come with being a part of the church and then was reminded of what the grace of God is like and how that relieves the weight uh, 
from his heart. And I wanted to open with that story because, one, uh, you know, we just got past this day in our, our schedule where we had Halloween, uh, we had All Saints Day, and it was kind of this, this time where, the, oh, yeah, that also happened like 500 years ago. Uh, but we're starting a series on Galatians, Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia. And the theme of Galatians is God's grace. God's grace. And as we look through this letter to the churches in Galatia, we're reminded that, that God is a God of grace and goodness, and his people are called to gratitude. And we wanted to start the series on Galatians because as we head towards Thanksgiving, this is a time in our own schedule where we really focus on the blessings God has given us in life. This is a time of gratitude for us. Because this book was all about grace, it was one of Luther's favorite books. It's been called Luther's book, this uh, letter to the churches in Galatia. And so we're calling this series, Let's Say Grace. When we come together, we pray, we give thanks for the things that God has done. We reflect on the grace that God has bestowed. I want to open to Galatians chapter 1, and we'll start there. And if you have your prayer journals, you can follow along. Um, we're just going to kind of go chapter by chapter over the next couple of weeks. But Galatians 1, 1 opens with this. It says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me. To the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is kind of an intro to a letter. Paul's introducing himself. And we know a little bit about Paul. If you grew up in the church, you probably know a lot about Paul. If you're new to this, uh, Paul wasn't one of the disciples. He came along a little bit later. A uh, very brilliant, successful uh, person. Uh, he, was a, uh, he was Jewish, but he was also a Roman citizen. Um, he was uh, uh, kind of successful in everything that he did. But in the early church, uh, he was actually one who was persecuting the church. Um, and so the church was afraid of Paul, and he made a name for himself because of his persecution and, and, and zealous energy against the early church. Everyone's afraid of him. Kind of like Martin Luther, Paul one day was traveling on a road, and he has this experience where God, God appears to him, and he has this conversion moment um, where God gets a hold of his heart, completely changes his trajectory. Uh, we don't know what happens. After, he, go, he goes away after that. He's kind of quiet for a few years. Um, then he goes and he works in churches in this area where people don't know him. And finally he's back, and the church has like sent him out into uh, Europe, basically, to plant churches. And then Paul does that. He goes, to, goes up into Turkey, modern-day Turkey, which is Galatia, and he starts to plant these churches. And then after a time, after he's established these Jesus communities that are centered around the gospel, uh, he leaves and he moves on. Um, but as he leaves and he moves on, he, he corresponds with them through letter writing. Remember, they don't have a phone, they don't have email, they can't text message or snap or gram, whatever. Like, they're writing letters. And these letters that he's writing, he's addressing issues that happen in these churches. And here, what we have him is addressing not just one church in Galatia, but the churches that are in the area, problems that have emerged. And he opens up basically saying he's an apostle and he's sent from not by man, but by God. This is who has commissioned him. Verse 3 says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, who gave himself for our sin to rescue us from the present evil age. This God that we follow is a God who rescues us. 
rescues us from our sin. And then he says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. If you read Paul, what you realize is like he's jumping right to the point right here. Oftentimes he talks about how thankful he is for the churches, how great the churches are, how much he loves them and he misses them. And here he turns the corner right away and he just says, there's something going on here that I need to address. And we find in verse 6, he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So he brings up two things. Remember, he's writing this letter, churches in Galatia, and he brings up kind of two things that are happening. The first is this, that when we become a follower of Jesus, we're, we have a certain calling that has been placed on our life. And here he says, you are deserting the call. You're deserting the call that you have. What is the call? You are called to live in the grace of Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are called to live in the grace of Christ Jesus. The grace of Christ Jesus is something that transforms us and it changes how we live on this earth. And Paul is saying, you're deserting this calling. This is who we are as a church. We are people of grace and we live in the grace of Christ. We're defined by it. It flows out of us. What is grace? Well, it's this Greek word, charis, uh, which could mean uh, gift. Uh, I love this definition. It's undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor or goodwill. This grace that we have with God, it's undeserved, it's unearned, it's unmerited favor. Strong's Concordance says it's divine influence upon the heart and it's reflection of life. It's a gift, it's a benefit, it's favor with God. This grace is divine influence upon our hearts that comes from God. It's a gift. It's grace. Salvation comes. The rescue comes as a gift to us. Philip Yancey, who wrote a wonderful book, What's So Amazing About Grace, says, Grace, my friends, demands nothing from us but that we shall await it with confidence and acknowledge it with gratitude. The great poet Bono in his album, All That We Can't Leave Behind in 2000, wrote these beautiful words about grace. He said, grace, she takes the blame. She covers the shame, removes the stain. It could be her name, Grace. It's the name for a girl, and it's also the th a thought that changed the world. And when she walks on the street, you can hear her strings. Grace finds goodness in everything. Grace, she's got the walk, not a ramp or on shock. She's got the time to talk. She travels outside of karma. And when she goes to work, you can hear her strings. Grace finds beauty in everything. She carries a pearl in perfect condition. What once was hurt, what once was friction, what left a mark no longer stings. Because grace makes beauty out of ugly things. Grace finds beauty in everything. Grace finds goodness in everything. Poetic and lovely, these words about grace. But we're called to live in the grace of Christ. The salvation, the life that we receive is grace. It's a gift. It's God's goodness. It's this divine influence upon our hearts. And Paul says, don't quickly abandon this message that you are called to live in the grace of Christ making beauty out of ugly things. The second thing he says is that you've been turning to a different gospel. 
I'm turning to a different gospel. What, what does this mean? What's going on here that he would say this, that you've deserted your call and then you're turning to this different gospel? Uh, after Paul would leave, there was this group that we knew kind of followed him called the Judaizers who were, um, had good intentions. But when, when the church went into Europe and they started preaching this gospel that, uh, that God has, has come to this earth through Jesus and by his grace uh, gone to the cross and for our salvation conquered death, um, this group was kind of following uh, following these early churches and saying, yes, but don't forget some of the stuff that, that, that we have in our story. And as Judaizers, they, were, they were wanted to be, remind, this is what it means to be part of God's people. We have this Old Testament with these old laws. And these are things that are important for us to understand, but what they were saying is you can't be right with God unless you're walking in line with these things. And part of these old laws that were thousands of years old, one of them was this idea of circumcision. And here in Galatians, this issue of circumcision arises. And circumcision is, we all know what it is. Uh, and if you imagine if you're, you're, uh, you're living kind of in Europe at this time, and this new gospel comes in, and you, want, you hear about Jesus, it sounds like good news, and you want to become a follower of Jesus, and, it, and it, it's this gift of grace, and it's free, and it, and it comes through uh, the cross of Jesus, and there's nothing you have to do to, to receive it except for you need to do this if you're a dude, I think a lot of dudes would be like, that might be a deal breaker for me. <laughs> Sounds great in theory. I'll just hang out over here, and I'm not ready to do that, right? It's, it's something that is, it's a huge demand. And, and there's this dispute that breaks out. And in Acts chapter 15, they're, they're dealing with some of this stuff that comes from the old law of what it means to be right with God. Uh, another thing was the observ observation of holy days. There were these things that you have to do, um, and you have, they're very strict about observing these holy days. We all know, like, we, we've got some days in, in our uh, culture, like, we know Christmas season. Uh, Christmas season starts the day after Thanksgiving, and it ends on New Year's. And Christmas music's only allowed in those boundaries, and if you play Christmas music before that, you are breaking so many cultural rules. I, I don't know who makes the rules, but I just follow them, right? <laughs> Drives Marcy crazy. No, but we, we have our own, like, rhythm of, of things that we observe, and, and but for them, it was this strict observation of these holy days. And then the third thing was these dietary laws. If you want to be right with God, there's certain things you have to eat. There's certain things you have to abstain from. And uh, what, what, what Paul is saying is, like, all of those things are, are here in here for a reason. But, but let's not be mistaken that we don't do those things to make ourselves right with God. We don't do those things to keep God happy. These dietary laws come from... Uh, God's people wandering in the wilderness. There's a lot in there contextually that they need to understand. Um, and, and as you start to see the freedom that you have in Christ, some of these things uh, that, that are a part of the law, we find that Jesus didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. And through his death and resurrection and grace that has been given to us, we no longer have to do some of these things. I like to think that, that kind of the narrative arc of, of Scripture is progressing to a pro-bacon stance. Um, <laughs> Right? Like you can eat bacon now because of what Jesus did on the cross. You don't have to abstain from bacon. And I think that's good news. And I don't want you to hear me wrong. I'm not talking about like allowing, being allowed to have some bacon. We, you get to eat all the bacon you want. And in Christ, there's this freedom that comes where the law has been fulfilled. And it's not about us doing this and doing that to appease God or try to earn our salvation. And much like Martin Luther, these things that we kind of heap onto the gospel, we're reminded that, no, salvation is this gift because Christ paid the price. There's this gift that comes in this relationship with Jesus. 
Galatians 2 goes on to, to talk about this dispute. There's actually a dispute that happens between Paul and Peter. And in Galatians 2, it says, verse 15, We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. And what they're talking about here is this idea of justification. To be justified means, one, to be in right relationship with God. It doesn't happen because of what we do. It doesn't happen because of the works. It doesn't happen because uh, we're, we're earning our way towards it. Justification happens because of what God has done for us that puts us in right relationship with him. The second thing is it means that we're forgiven and we're given a place in God's family. To be a part of the church, whether you're, you're, you're Gentile or Jew, all these things that the world does to, to divide us, all of a sudden, in this holy community, this family, we are one. We're given a place in the family. We become sons and daughters because we've been justified. And it results in the transformation by grace through faith. There's this gift that comes by grace through faith. Eugene Peterson says this about this passage. He says, God does not coerce us from without, but he sets us free from within. Something is released inside of us that gives us freedom. That freedom comes because of the cross, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Galatians 2 verse 19 goes on to say, For though the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I do not set aside the grace of God. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Paul's expanding on this, and he's saying, this is the gospel. It's what Jesus has done for you. The burden, the weight of this, we find relief at the cross. This is a gift. This is divine influence upon our heart. And this is good news. What does it mean to live in the grace of of God. I, I love that idea. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. We take on the personality of Jesus. We become formed to be more like Him. People of grace, saved by grace, who dispense grace to the world. My favorite theologian is a German named Jurgen Moltmann, and he's very German. So German that he actually fought for the Germans in World War II. And he was a Nazi. Crazy story, because now he's this great theologian who's, who's done wonderful things. But early on in his life, he gets kind of sucked up into this war, fights for the German side. Um, around 1945, as everything's starting to come to an end in Europe, uh, he gets captured. Gets put into a POW, and he's living kind of in Scotland in this POW camp, and, and talks about kind of this dark night of the soul he experiences as he starts to realize, like, Germany loses, everything falls apart. Uh, the people who have kept him captive... Uh, bring in some pictures of places from his home that have been destroyed. Hamburg's completely, you know, wiped out. Uh, Berlin's destroyed. He's devastated seeing these pictures of his, his homeland just completely in flames. Something else happens. They bring in pictures of Auschwitz and, 
different concentration camps, and they say, do you realize that this has been happening? And all the German prisoners are absolutely horrified as they start to see not only the devastation of what's happened to their home, but also what's happening in their homeland. And, and he talks about just the despair of realizing that his generation is going to be known for this. His generation of Germans are going to be forever shamed and tainted because of what has happened and because of what's coming out. And he's absolutely devastated, living in despair, thinking he has no future. And then one night there's this, this chaplain that shows up and hands Jürgen Moulton this Bible. And he gives him this Bible, and Jürgen Moulton starts to read through it because he has nothing else to do. And he's bored, and he's in despair. And he starts to read through the Psalms. And as he starts to read through the Psalms, he sees these Psalms of lament, like we've been talking about the last couple of weeks of these people that go through the dark night of the soul, and they're lamenting to God, and they feel completely forsaken. And yet, at the same time, they find hope for a future. And he starts to read through the life of Jesus, and he reads through what Jesus does here on earth and then what happens to Jesus on the cross and how Jesus suffers and how Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the story of the cross, how Jesus goes into the grave, rises from the dead, conquers death. And all of a sudden he starts to realize that, that this Jesus that he's heard about is this suffering Savior. And this Jesus who has, has risen from the dead starts to, to do these things where people like Paul uh, who's, who's zealous in, in persecuting the church, his life is transformed. And Jürgen Moltmann gives his life to Christ. And he starts to see hope for the future in the midst of everything that he was and everything that he did and everything that he was wrapped up in. There could possibly be a new identity that he moves into because of Jesus. And he says that he goes to this conference when he gets out of, of, of jail and they invite kind of all the old prisoners of war. And it's in the Netherlands. And there's people from the Netherlands that come and they, they, they want to talk with the German prisoners, and they start to share about all the devastating things that Hitler had done to their country. And as they're sharing, they're not doing it in this vindictive kind of way. What they're actually doing is sharing, we've gone through all of this, but we want you to know that we forgive you. And the reason that they're able to do this, Moulton finds out, is because they're living in the grace of Christ. They've been crucified with Christ. The old is gone the new has come. There's a future for them. And Jürgen Moltmann says he, he saw the embodiment of grace from other people. It was unmerited, undeserved, and they gave him hope for a future and redemption. And it completely transformed his life. Jürgen Moltmann becomes this uh, great theologian, but later days, later on in his life, he writes about this, this idea of grace and hope. He says this, but the ultimate reason for our hope is not to be found at all in what we want, wish for, and wait for. The ultimate reason is that we are wanted and wished for and waited for. What is it that awaits us? Does anything await us at all, or are we alone? Whenever we base our hope on trust in the divine mystery, we feel deep down in our hearts there is something, there is someone who is waiting for you who is hoping for you, who believes in you. We are waited for as a prodigal son, and the parable is waited for by his father. We are accepted and received as a mother takes her children into her arms and comforts them. God is our last hope because we are God's first love. Grace is a gift. Grace is a gift God gives us because we are his first love. We are wanted, we are wished for, we are waited for. This God who loves us offers us life and salvation. 
This is an invitation, this grace, this gift to come. And what Paul wants these churches in Galatia to know is this is the gospel, the gospel that you could put your hope in. True life is found here. Right relationship with God is found here. Eternal life is found here. Don't complicate it. This is grace. And the second thing is to live in the grace of Christ, that you've been crucified with Christ and Jesus is living in you. And when you live in the grace of Christ, it changes how you live on this earth. It changes how you journey through life, being in touch with the eternal God. We experience grace and we dispense grace to others. Today we're going to celebrate what grace does in the life of people through baptism. We have two people that are going to be baptized today who have experienced this grace. Grace has come into their life. And for us, baptism is an outward expression of an inward transformation. God doesn't coerce us from the outside, but changes us from within. Maybe today you've never received this gift of salvation. We have different language for it. We might call it a conversion like Martin Luther. We might call it giving your life to Christ. But we believe it's this moment where you accept this gift of salvation, the cross of Christ that atones for your sin, the resurrection which conquers death. And we invite you to that today. Maybe you've never just received that. We want to say, if you are making that decision, we'd love to celebrate with you with baptism. And Tim's going to come back up and we're going to close our time with something else that's sacred, a time of communion. And what communion represents for us is this gift that has been given. Communion is grace. It's being thankful for this good gift of grace, of God's provision, of God's salvation in our life. We take a piece of bread that represents the body of Christ that was broken open on the cross. We take a cup of juice that represents the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross. And as we break this bread and we receive this cup, we're reminded of the gift of grace that God rescued us, but we also proclaim it. And today, maybe today, you just need to come and give thanks to God for what he's done at the table. And then after we've done that, Tim's going to dismiss us, and we're just going to meet out in the breezeway and celebrate some baptisms. If you randomly today say, you know what, I've received this grace, and I want to go forward with it and let everyone know, we have extra towels. (laughs) The water's lukewarm. It's not bad. We'd love for you to join us. But let's take some time today and just be, reflect on the grace that God has given us, this gift, this divine influence upon our heart that puts us in right relationship with him, that gives us a future. And then, uh, and then Tim will dismiss us to the breezeway. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Lord, we're grateful for your love for us. We're grateful for old stories like Martin Luther, Lord. We're grateful for your scripture where we get a peek into uh, something that happened 2,000 years ago and see that people were struggling and wrestling with what it means to follow you. There's all sorts of discussion about what that meant. There were arguments. There were people that didn't get along. And yet, at the same time, Lord, we see your Holy Spirit just guiding us, reminding us of our story. Reminding us of your grace. Lord, as your church, we want to be people of grace. That, that's what defines us. Lord, but we're also generous with your grace to others. That you would change us from within to be more like you. 
And Lord, today as we celebrate, we know that you're always at work in all of our lives. And yet sometimes it comes uh, to a front and we get to see uh, together what you've done. We're grateful for uh, the people being baptized today, Lord, that, that they get to celebrate this grace in your work in their life. Lord, we just ask your blessing on your people today. In your sons and we pray. Amen.